thing that's happened in the past 30 years that's been really good for the 60-40 portfolio is stocks and bonds have been inversely correlated. So we've been getting primarily deflationary shocks. And so when you get deflationary shocks, you know, you know the coronavirus is a de deflationary shock, 2008 is a deflationary shock. What happens is bonds go up when stocks are going down. And, and in those types of situations, stocks and bonds work really well together. What could potentially be the Achilles heel of the 60-40 is if you look through history, during periods where you get unexpected inflation, that's where they both can maybe not work that well together. So bonds may, may not protect you during a period like that. Bonds are gonna be going down and you could have stocks going down simultaneously. Welcome to Excess Returns, where we focus on what works over the long-term in the markets. Join us as we talk about the strategies and tactics that can help you become a better long-term investor. Justin Carboneau and Jack Forehand are principals at Validia Capital Management. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Validia Capital. No information on this podcast should be construed as investment advice. Securities discussed in the podcast may be holdings of clients of Validia Capital. Hey guys, this is Justin. In this episode of Excess Returns, Jack and I work through some quantitative alternative strategies to the 60-40 stock bond portfolio. The 60-40 investment allocation has been a winning and dominant strategy for investors over the past 40 years, but with signs of potential inflation, the possibility of higher rates, and an expensive stock market by many measures, investors may want to start to consider other strategies that have a balanced approach that could do well in various economic environments. We discuss the permanent portfolio, the all-weather methodology, and more advanced and active risk-managed strategies like protective asset allocation and generalized protective momentum. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoy and learn from this discussion. Okay, today we're going to talk about a topic that's getting a lot of attention um, in the market right now for reasons that we'll get into. Um, but a lot of investors uh, that watch us probably have heard or know about or maybe even are allocated to um, something like the 60-40 stock bond portfolio. So what that is is roughly 60% stocks, 40% bonds, and that's kind of like a target allocation for investors that are at or nearing retirement. And um, one of the things with the 60-40 is just how phenomenally well it has done really over the past 40 years. So you've had um, a return of around, let's say, 9%, at least going back 33 years, which is how far I can back test it in a site called Portfolio Visualizer. But the, the 6040 has just been a beast. It's produced a 9.2% um, return over its uh, over that 33-year period, basically going back to 1998. But you've really had two um, things happening with that. You've had one valuations have been sort of steadily increasing and it's been, you know, a pretty good uh, 30 year period for stocks. Although there has been periods in there where stocks have gotten hit pretty hard and bonds have actually done their job and acted as a uh, diversifier. Um, but really it's been, you know, a 40 year bull market from bonds um, since the early 80s when interest rates were at like 15 or 16 percent. So rates have come way, way down and that's been good for um, bond prices um, and bond investors. So those two things have certainly helped the 60-40. But if you sort of think about where we are today, where yields are, they're historically low, maybe 1.5, 1.6% right now, although they're well off their, their lows in, from August of last year. Um, you know, the question that bond investors sort of has to, you know, sort of ask themselves is, is could, you know, rates be increasing in the future? And that would obviously be bad for, um, the, the value of bonds and then also where we are in the market today in terms of valuation. So you have, you know, what looks like at least a pretty expensive market on the surface, although if earnings and cash flows sort of catch up, maybe it's not as expensive. But, you know, based on most 
most uh, metrics um, stocks look pretty expensive here. So that sort of leads the the question of, you know, well, what what should we do about the 60-40 stock bond portfolio and maybe what are the expected returns? And just, Jack, before I hand it over to you, um, one of the things, and this is from late, late last year, but basically you had BlackRock, JP Morgan, Morningstar Investment Management, Research Affiliates of Vanguard, they all came out with their long-term asset class returns on both U.S. equities and bonds. And basically, on a best case scenario, um, now again, these are just estimates, but on a best case scenario, the 60-40 would produce a, let's say, 7 to 10 year return of 4.4%. And on a worst case scenario, it would return about 70 basis points. So that brings up a whole series of questions for investors that are allocated this way, which is, you know, is the 60-40 going to deliver on, um, you know, for investors? And can you kind of depend on this? Um, to generate strong returns in the future, I, you know, you, it's just it's 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 really an, uh, unknown at this point. Yeah, I mean, the sixty four is a great portfolio, and it, it's you know it, it's great for many investors, and it, it works well in a variety of different outcomes. The one period, you know, the, the one thing that's happened in the past thirty years that's been really good for the sixty four portfolio is stocks and bonds have been inversely correlated. So we've been getting primarily deflationary shocks. And so when you get deflationary shocks, you know, you know the coronavirus is a de deflationary shock. 2008 is a deflationary shock. What happens is bonds go up when stocks are going down. And, and in those types of situations, stocks and bonds work really well together. What could potentially be the Achilles heel of the 60-40 is if you look through history, during periods where you get unexpected inflation, that's where they both can maybe not work that well together. So bonds may, may not protect you during a period like that. Bonds are going to be going down, and you could have stocks going down simultaneously. And you know, I have no idea whether that's going to happen or not. I mean, I've, I've got my economics degree from UConn in 1999, which makes me feel like I'm an economist, but I, I don't know that. But you know, one of the things that could trigger inflation here is, is we've, had, we've, been, we've had monetary stimulus from the Federal Reserve for a very long period of time. And many economists thought that would trigger inflation, and it did not. But the big change here is we now are putting money in people's pockets. We are now writing checks. The government is writing checks to people, and people are going to spend that money. And so the question is, will that generate inflation? And will that generate a, a period where maybe what, what's worked well about the 60-40 portfolio doesn't work as well you know, in the future as it has in the past? And you know, this could very well be a transitory thing we're seeing right now. And, and you know, it seems like that's what the Federal Reserve thinks is we may see a spike in inflation, but it may come back down to a more normal level. Or it could be something that's, you know, that triggers some long-term inflation. We don't know. But what the point of my article was just to say, well, if, if inflation is a risk here, what are some potential things we might be able to do to enhance a 60-40 portfolio to deal with it? Right. And we'll get into those things. But just in terms of, you know, are we seeing inflation? Uh, I think we are seeing it in the here and now, whether it's transitory or not, you know, we don't know. But clearly there's financial asset price inflation. You have house pricing inflation. House prices are up 11% year over year, the most since 06. Obviously, commodities have come back significantly. This The CRB commodity index is up 84% since last April. Used car inflation, which, you know, that's maybe not long lasting, but used car prices are up 26% over the past 12 months. And then you have like this collectibles kind of going parabolic with some of the prices of like the Michael Jordan rookie card, for example, which, you know, was sold in, in 2015 for 15,000. Now it's selling for over 700,000. So I think as we look around, you know, there's this big question of, is this inflation going to be, you know, long lasting or maybe higher um, than a lot of people think? Like you said, the Fed is sort of thinking this is going to eventually cool down, although they did signal, you know, two rate hikes potentially for next year. So or, or I'm sorry, for 2023. So I think that that kind of signals that maybe they're thinking that 
there's some inflation risk ahead too. But in terms of some of the assets that, you know, do work well in those inflationary type environments, um, can you just work through those? Sure. Well, first of all, in terms of a long-term inflation hedge, there's nothing better than stocks. I mean, stocks produce a return that is significantly higher than the rate of inflation. So in terms of a long-term hedge, if we're not dealing with, you know, what's going to happen this year or next year, stocks are probably the best inflation hedge that exists. Where, where stocks run into trouble, and the, the reason for that is because higher prices in the economy lead to higher profits for companies. So that, that's going to lead to stocks going higher. Um, the stocks tend to have problems when you get unexpected inflation. And that's, you know, when inflation comes in out of nowhere and we don't expect it or it's higher than expected, that's where stocks can maybe have some issues. So stocks are a great long-term hedge, but in terms of a hedge during inflationary periods, um, you know, all of them have their issues. And that, that's the problem with trying to go away from a 60-40 and go into these things. You know, commodities are a good inflation hedge, but commodities also have these long periods of horrendous performance like we've seen, you know, in the past couple decades. Commodities have not done well at all. You know, gold sometimes is an inflation hedge, but then sometimes it's not an inflation hedge. Real estate's a pretty good inflation hedge. You know, real estate is obviously an asset that's going up during periods of inflation. Um, and then you have things like tips, um, you know, where their principal goes up with the, with the inflation rate. So, you know, that's that's a fixed income type instrument that can do well in inflation. But you know, all the one of the problems with these things is, you know, when you look at adding them to your portfolio, they all have certain issues surrounding them. So there's there's no great perfect inflation hedge you can just add to your 60-40 portfolio and be happy with it. And that, that's the problem. Yeah, that's a good point. I think like, like commodities, you know, if you would have thought inflation was coming after maybe the financial crisis because you, you know, what the Fed was doing with monetary policy, you know, you, you got into commodities, you would have certainly gotten crushed. So, um, but what commodities also show, at least historically, is they go through like these super cycle type of um, periods where they go through real bad downturns and then they, they kind of bottom and they trough and then, you know, inflation comes and they're one of the better investments during inflationary times. But like you said, it's it's you add these things to your portfolio, you're going to look very different than the typical 60-40. And if you get it wrong and you deviate, you know, investors might sort of make a bad decision there. But let's sort of talk about some of maybe from simple to more complex, some strategies that consider stocks and bonds, because we're not saying you should basically give up on those and throw in the towel. Um, those are still going to be important vehicles for most investors. But there are strategies that incorporate, you know, other uh, alternative asset classes, some of the ones you mentioned, and do it in different ways. So to start, let's start out with the permanent portfolio, which was developed by Harry Brown. This is from the 1970s, and it's really a portfolio that is pretty straightforward, and you can probably imp implement it pretty cheap cheaply. So, Jack, maybe I'll, I'll let you start and just jump into that. And before we start, one thing that all of these things we're going to talk about have in common is they're all systematic because we're big believers that, you know, the one thing you don't want to do here is try to, as a, as a person, sit here and say, well, what do I think is going to happen with inflation? And then, you know, what, what do I want to put in my portfolio? And, you know, if I put in commodities, when should I take them out? You know, when you get into that decision-making process, it typically turns into a disaster. So for us, we always want to find strategies that are systematic. And so you mentioned the permanent portfolio. The permanent portfolio is pretty simple. You know, if you look at, there's sort of four different types of outcomes you can have. You can have an economic expansion you can have a recession, you can have, and then on the price side, you can have inflation and you can have deflation. And so what the permanent portfolio does is it takes four different assets that'll do well in each one of those types of scenarios and it invests 25% in each. So it's got stocks for an expansion, it's got cash and short-term bonds for recession, it's got gold for inflation, and it's got long-term bonds for deflation. And so what happens is this, this ends up being a, a much smoother ride over time because no matter what is going on, you're going to have, you're likely to have something that's doing well. And so the long-term returns of this are actually not too different than a 60-40 portfolio. And the goal is to, you know, by including assets that do well in different types of periods to create a smoother return over time. Yeah, that's great. Um, and now kind of coming into something that's a little bit more, um, I guess, complex or active 
is the Protective Asset Allocation Strategy, or also known as PAA. And that's uh, based on a paper, uh, Protective Asset Allocation, a Simple Momentum-Based Alternative for Term Deposits. And it was um, developed by these gentlemen, Keller and, uh, is it Koenig? Koenig, yeah. And um, the, the basic idea here, I'll take the first part, Jack, is it starts by basically looking at um, 12 different asset classes. So it uses the S&P 500 or large cap U.S. stocks, Russell 2000, NASDAQ 100, European equities, Japanese equities, emerging market equities, long-term treasury bonds, high-yield bonds, corporate bonds, commodities, gold, and real estate. And then it basically will look to allocate to the six asset classes that have the best uh, price momentum or price strength. Um, so it's trying to bring you into the top six asset classes um, based on momentum. But Jack, as we were talking about before the podcast, you know, it's there's uh, another sort of aspect to this portfolio in terms of trying to protect capital, which I'll let you talk about. And then there, there are some, you know, drawbacks to this in terms of its activeness and, and such. Yeah, you know, this is for more, you know, active investors. This is obviously somewhat complicated. This is not, you know, a 60-40 portfolio. This is not the permanent portfolio where you're just allocating 25% to four different asset classes. This is an active portfolio that's making changes. But what it takes advantage of is what we talked about before. You know, these all these inflation hedges have their issues. Commodities have really long periods of underperformance. So what this is doing is it's trying to only invest in asset classes that have momentum. And so, like, commodities is an asset class, for instance, that works very well with trend following. So when, when you sort of couple momentum with commodities, you, you tend to avoid some of these long periods where it's not working. So that, that can be a great asset for when you're, when you're incorporating these addition, additional asset classes into a portfolio. But like you said, the, the idea is just to, of the 12, buy the six with the most momentum. And then it also has this concept of a crash protect, protection asset. And so the idea is if all 12 assets are, have positive momentum, then we just buy the best six. As we start to have less than 12 that has positive momentum, we start to raise our cash position. And once we get where more than six of them don't have positive momentum, we now go 100% into this crash protection asset. And the crash protection asset is either intermediate term treasuries or, or a more short term thing, depending on which one of those has most, the most momentum. So the idea here is we're trying to buy asset classes that are going up. We're trying to take advantage of the principle of momentum. But then we also have this protection on the back end that if things go really bad, um, you know, this thing is going to begin to raise cash and, and potentially go all the way to cash. Now, in terms of the, the, the one downside I want to highlight of this is, is obviously what we talked about before, that it's a little more advanced and a little more active. But what the, the fact that it's active makes it is a lot less tax efficient. So a 60-40 portfolio is very tax efficient. You're rebalancing, you know, once a year or once a quarter or whatever you're doing, but you're not making massive changes. You know, this portfolio can completely turn itself over. If market leadership changes, it can completely turn itself over. And if you're in a taxable account, that can be a, you know, a problem. So that, that's probably the biggest downside, the complexity of it and also the lack of tax efficiency. Yeah, one of the other sort of things that I think about when I think about this one is, you know, the 60-40 or even the permanent portfolio or the all-weather that we're going to talk about, you know, there's like target there's target weights on the asset class. So you kind of know what you're getting um, in terms of your exposures. Whereas something like this, you know, it really is allowed to go where the momentum is or to raise cash. So in terms of like where it fits in an asset allocation sort of model, if you will, it's hard to pin it down because you could have, I mean, you could have all six asset classes be equities, which that may be the case right now because the market's, strong and price performance is strong in a lot of you know equity asset classes so that's just another thing to keep in mind if you're deploying this portfolio is you might be 100 percent equity or even almost 100 percent cash depending if it's in, in crash protection so it's hard to you know pigeonhole it um into a specific uh asset allocation 
um, sort of uh, bucket, if you will. You know, that, that's a really important point because if you're somebody who's really concerned about benchmarks, this is not, these are not the types of things you want to do. Because like you said, I mean, this thing could be in commodities and gold and Japanese equities. And, you know, it could be in like those types of things and not in stocks at all at different times. So it can look really, really different than the stock market or a 60-40 portfolio. And so for investors who are concerned about how am I tracking relative to a benchmark, these things are not good because they're going to look very, very different. And that's sort of, that's what they're intended to do. Now, there's another take on protective al asset allocation, and that, that's called generalized protective momentum. So this is now the third strategy that, um, and it's similar to protective asset allocation in that it does almost the exact same thing. It looks at the same 12 asset classes. It tries to go where the momentum is, although there's an added component there, which I'll let you talk about, Jack. Um, it has the crash protection uh, element to it, um, and it has all the similar type of sort of uh, I guess, characteristics that we talked about. It's pretty active in terms of monthly rebalancing. It can go, be like, an, well, I'll let you talk about the, the correlation aspect of it because that's where it actually does look very different and feel very different from protective asset allocation. Yeah, you know, this, this tends to have less market beta. So it seems to be less, it tends to be less tied to the market. And, and the reason is this correlation component you talked about. So the idea here is what we do is we take all 12 assets that are in that basket and we basically create like an index with all 12 of those assets. And then we look at each individual asset and say, what is its correlation to that overall index of all the assets? And the ones that are the least correlated get the sort of the highest correlation score. And so when we're ranking the, you know, the individual positions to determine which ones end up in the portfolio, we don't just take into account their momentum, but we also take into account this correlation score. And so you get less correlated assets in there, which generally means a smoother return, less drawdowns, less market beta. So it's, it's a very similar concept. It's, it's a paper by the same people that wrote protective asset allocation. But by implementing this correlation component, you know, it tends to be a little, I think, a little bit less risky than protective asset allocation. Yeah, I think that would be true based on the data that we have when comparing the two strategies. And the last one is the all-weather portfolio. This kind of concept comes from um, I believe Ray Dahlia at Bridgewater Associates, one of the largest hedge funds um, in the world. And basically it's similar to the permanent in that it's trying to use, you know, a lot of different asset classes and it looks to kind of allocate certain percentages to those asset classes. So I believe it's something like 30% U.S. stocks, 40% long-term or intermediate term treasuries. There is another intermediate term treasury component to it. And then you've got some gold and some commodities in there. So it's trying to, you know, bring you into these alternatives. And I think it's something to do with like the level of risk or volatility in each one of these. Yeah, so this is an oversimplified version of what people would call risk parity. So this is not the right way to do risk parity, but it's it's sort of a simple version of it. And so the idea of risk parity is you want every asset class to contribute equal risk to your portfolio. So if stocks are much riskier than bonds, you have to hold more bonds. So in a simple way, that's what this is doing. And it's holding different types of assets that do well in different environments, commodities, gold, bonds, stocks. Um, real risk parity will tend to use leverage to do this, which you can't do with this type of simple portfolio. So real risk parity will tend to add leverage to the bonds to equate the risk with stocks versus just having to hold a lot more bonds. Um, so this is not the, the cleanest way to do risk parity, but it's an illustration of the same type of thing as the permanent portfolio. We're trying to have assets that do well in different types of environments. And then in this case, we're adding the component of we're trying to weight them so that they contribute equal risk to the portfolio. Right. So I think just to sum up, I mean, you know, Stock market valuations look, you know, a little bit more on the expensive side. We obviously know interest rates are way down and that could be problematic for bonds. The 60-40 may not produce. We're not saying it absolutely 100% on this, but 
you know, it may not produce the return over the next decade that it has over the last few decades. And so there are alternative type of strategies out there, such as the ones that we've talked about today and a lot of others. Um, but like we talked about before, you know, they all come with their own set of risks or what I would say for most investors is you just want to understand um, what goes into the strategies, what could go wrong. And then, you know, if you can deal with that and if you have conviction, um, you know, maybe one of these strategies could be good for some people just because they're looking for something different. But um, they're going to be very different than the 60-40 and they will deviate from the market and the 60-40 when, you know, they're sort of out of favor. So that's... Yeah, I think the general idea here is if you're going to get something in investing, you're typically going to give something up. So yes, you can add different things to your 60-40 portfolio, but there, there's versions of the world where that's going to hurt you rather than help you. And so it, it, when you think about adding inflation protection into your portfolio, it brings up a bunch of issues that you have to work through. And, and all of those, you know, whatever you're going to add to your portfolio could potentially produce negative outcomes instead of positive. So for most people, the 60-40 is still probably a good place to be, although it may not do well in the world of inflation. But you know, what we're trying to do here is, is we're trying to come up with some systematic ways to do it so that you're not sitting there saying, all right, you know, I think inflation is going to be above average. You know, let me throw some commodities in my portfolio. These are just some interesting ones we found that do it in a systematic way. Right. Good stuff. All right. Thank you guys for watching and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Hi guys, this is Justin again. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Excess Returns. You can follow Jack on Twitter at, at practicalquant and follow me on Twitter at, at JJ Carboneau. If you found this discussion interesting and valuable, please subscribe in either iTunes or on YouTube or leave a review or a comment. We appreciate it.